Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Long View. This is episode number 19. It's being recorded on July the 3rd, one day before Independence Day here in the United States. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host and is uh, with me as always is my co-host, Lloyd Keller. Lloyd, uh, we're going to be reviewing some interesting games today, so maybe we can give people a little hint. I'd like you to introduce yourself and say hello as if you were that dude in like Aliens 2. Okay, coming up out of, like, you know, his bunker or something. Can you do that? Hello, everybody! Game over, man! Game over! <laughs> there we go, okay. We're all gonna die! That's right, we're all gonna die. Um, so we're gonna be uh, talking about a, a little post-apocalyptic game today, and a couple of other titles as well, and because of that, uh, we're also gonna be joined here by uh, the boy. So, Carter, can you say hello? Hello. Should I say no. I feel like you exclude me from that. Okay. What, you, what accent would you like to try? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Carter is just Carter, right? <clears throat> Nothing yep. wrong with that. Okay. Awesome sauce. So, we're going to be talking about three new titles tonight. Uh, first off, we're going to be talking about a brand new um, edition of a game that many people regarded as a, a kind of a cult classic. And this is 51st State Master Set. Uh, this is designed by Ignacy Chevyacek and published by Portal Games. Uh, the second game we're going to be taking a look at is a title from um, Crash of Games. And this game is called Fish Frenzy. And the designer of that game is Brett Gilbert. And finally, we're going to be taking a look at the new edition of Pimal Flaumann, uh, which is the original German name. Uh, the game is now called Plums, been brought over by Crash. And uh, this is an Alex- uh, Matthias Kramer. I almost said Alexander Pfister because there have been so many Alexander Pfister games recently. Mm-hmm. But this is Matthias Kramer, actually. Um, and so we're going to be taking a look at those three games in this episode coming up right now. So the first game that we have up for review tonight is a new edition of the game 51st State. Uh, this is 51st State Master Set, and as we said previously, designed by Ignacy uh, Trevichek, and uh, the publisher is Portal Games. This is a game that was out a while ago, um, and it was kind of uh, it was popular. It was a little bit difficult uh, for some people to kind of wrap their mind around the rules and some of the systems in the game. And then, uh, from what I understand, Ignacy then sort of took the 51st State engine and kind of refined it a little bit, kind of streamlined it a little bit, and turned it into the game known as Imperial Settlers. And Imperial Settlers turned out to be a big hit. Lots and lots of people really enjoyed it. Um, And so he decided to kind of go back and revisit 51st State, and that sort of post-apocalyptic theme uh, that he had originally developed and try to kind of rework that game, and he turned it into the 51st State Master Set. Now, uh, this is called the Master Set because in this box, you're not only getting the 51st State game, but you're also getting the first two expansions, which is the New Era and the Winter expansion. Now, these were expansions that were sold separately uh, when you look at the original set, uh, but now they're all kind of combined in one box, okay? And so we've kind of taken everything that was old again, which was in 51st State, uh, remixed it, remastered it uh, with lessons learned from Imperial Settlers by the designer himself. And then now we've kind of rebooted uh, the 51st State uh, kind of universe here in this new edition. So uh, this is a game that plays one to four players. It does have a solo uh, playing option. And it says it plays in 60 to 90 minutes. I find that most of the games, once you know 
uh, the game really range about that 60 minute mark. Wouldn't you agree? Luke? Yeah, they they probably don't go much more than an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's much faster than Imperial Settlers. And there's a lot of other differences between these two that we'll highlight in just a few minutes. But, um, yeah, it, it generally plays in about an hour. Even if you're playing with uh, the full complement of four players, you know, it might get a little over an hour pushing towards that 90 minutes. But once people know what they're doing, the game flows very, very quickly. And so um, it's really kind of a, an interesting sort of a, a departure. It's it's kind of a hybrid almost. I don't even know how to describe it. So uh, I think the best thing to do is to talk a little bit about the gameplay. Uh, we'll kind of talk about what we think about the gameplay, and then we'll, we'll compare it to Imperial Settlers. So in this game, you're each going to be representing a different group that is trying to sort of establish the, the new nation, the 51st state, uh, if you will. And you have the Appalachian uh, kind of federation, you have the merchants, you have uh, the New York kind of group, and then you have the mutant group. And these four groups are all kind of vying for control and vying for power. And each of you kind of represents one of those four groups. And what you're going to be doing during the course of the game is you're going to be trying to sort of expand your little state. You're going to be expanding by kind of picking through the ruins of what is left of civilization um, and exploiting it, uh, repurposing it, recycling it, repairing it, reusing it, and trying to use this to kind of bring yourself to power. So you might find an old abandoned tank. You might find an old shipyard. You could find, uh, you know, a, a broken down kind of a, a church, you know, that's been deserted, but you're going to, you know, uh, bring that in and, and repurpose that. You're going to be attracting new people. You might find a little a settlement or a village and there's more people that you'll then bring to your cause. Um, and then there's also the opportunity to interact with the other groups in the game. You can travel to uh, go and see them and perhaps uh, do a little bit of business with them through what's called open production. Um, you can go and, and directly smack each other around a little bit. Uh, you can go and attack each other's holdings and, and buildings and sort of uh, different things that you have that you're trying to build up in your state. And this is because really what it is, it's, it's a race to 25 victory points. And the first player to reach this 25 victory point margin is going to be the winner um, by, well, not necessarily the winner. The first person to reach the 25 victory points is going to signal the end of the game. Once that round is complete, whoever's ahead is the winner. And I say that, I corrected myself, because I've been the person who's triggered the end of the game and then lost. So this is something that can happen. So it's got some interesting timing mechanisms in there, and there's all kinds of card combinations you know, you have cards that produce uh, fuel. The fuel can then be turned in uh, to a contact. You can kind of uh, gain contacts with that fuel and send them out to other places to make deals so that you're getting a steady stream of supplies like bricks or guns or, um, you know, um, what are some of fuel itself? Fuel or, itself, yeah. Um, cards. You know, uh, cards. And there's all kinds of things that you can do what's called making deals. And this is going to kind of ramp up your production. You can build cards that will produce things directly in your uh, kind of uh, your group state, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and then there are buildings that are like features that will give you like a little one-time bonus or benefit. And then there are these kind of action cards. And these are the ones that primarily you're going to use to try to gain those victory points. You know, it'll say something like turn in, you know, two guns and use one of your, your citizens, your people, and get three victory points or something like that. And so you're going to be trying to kind of build 
an engine of resources. You're going to be trying to make contacts so that you can uh, go out and make deals or, you know, get some people to go out and raid somebody else. You got like kind of military contacts you're going to make or you're going to have like engineering contacts with your own people who are going to try and build stuff uh, in your own kind of area, uh, your own home base. So you've got all of these different sort of resources. You convert them into these contact tokens and you use the contact tokens to do different things. And if all else fails, you can just simply loot. So you can simply find stuff that's near you and you can just kind of, they call it, uh, you know, raise Raising. it. Yeah. And you can just kind of loot it. You can just kind of use your own uh, force, your own power, you know, by discarding guns and, you know, getting these. I kind of, I kind of view it as like I'm arming people to then go out and raid. Uh, or I'm giving fuel to people to then go out and make contact with other people and make deals for me. Um, you know, or I'm, I'm providing resources to my engineers to kind of refurbish or build something new. And so the resources turn into these contact tokens and the contact tokens are then what you use to kind of perform most of your actions. So players are going to kind of uh, deal with this. We're going to be going clockwise. You just take a little action. You do one thing and then it passes to the next person and they do one thing. So it's kind of got a little bit of that micro turn feel to it. So the game moves at a nice little clip. However, you always have to be aware that others might attack you. You have to kind of build your own engine. Uh, you have to think about maybe trying to upgrade your own cards, uh, which is something that you can do. And so there's lots of choices, lots of different things to do in this game. So, um, Carter, what would you say? You and I have played this a few times now. Um, what's been your impression of 51st Aid? How have you liked this? Or, you know, what, what's been your feelings about it? Well, my opinion of the game is it's a great game. Um, using Lloyd's scale, I would rate it 5 out of 6 somethings because we never know what he's going to come up with. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> never know. 5 out of 6 wrenches. Wrenches, why not? There you go, there you go. All right, so what is, what is it about that you like? Well, I like the priority kind of civilization building and how you can kind of choose what path you want to go on. Like, you can go on the wall path, collect a bunch of guns, mm -hmm. then raise a bunch of places, including all of your places, too. Yes, thank you, son. Like yes, I know you like to do that. Um, we can, you can also kind of go on to the kind of exploring or whatever you want to call it, kind of path and getting gears and then building a bunch of buildings. I always go on that path. Cause, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or you can go on the trading path, and the trading path is kind of odd, because you can trade, though you only get one resource every single trade you make. Right. Yeah, those are your deals, right? Those are your deals. Yeah. And so you like that? Yes, I like how you can, can customize it. You can always, and it, it's not like you have to choose, okay, I'm going to build the whole entire game. You can build, but at the same time, you can shoot you. Yeah, you can, yes, you can shoot me. That's true. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, one of the things I like about the game, Carter, is that... Uh, there's a lot of take that in the game, you know, like when you attack somebody else. But when you attack somebody else, you know, they're getting something. They get what's on the deal portion of the card is like a compensation. You get the spoils. But I get this foundation, right? I flip my card over. And now I can build with a brick over that location kind of almost like for free. And I get a victory point. So, you know, the game encourages you to attack. But it also... Um, actually gives opportunities to the person who was attacked to kind of get back in there and, and maybe actually in some cases make up ground. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yes. For example, if you're on a two-player game and someone's continuously attacking you, then if you have no recovering method, then it would just completely go 
down and down that dog's pile from there. Right, right. That's true. That's true. And a two-player game, you know, and a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, you know, you kind of have to watch what resources people have. And resources include things like cards, you know, because in the last game we played earlier today, you were thinking about attacking Mr. Lloyd, right? But then you decided not to. Because he had 5,000 bricks. Right, because he had like 5,000 bricks. And that's not much of an exaggeration. He had a lot of bricks. But we, we didn't notice that he had no cards. Yes. So we could have attacked him, knocked a victory point off of him, and he would not have had the opportunity to overbuild because he had no cards and he had no way to get new cards. So there's lots of decisions to make in the game. Would you agree with that? Yes, there's a lot of variety of decisions and variety of ways you can go. Very cool, very cool. I, I think I would agree with that. Lloyd, what's been your impression of 51st State Master Set? I like this game a lot because it's another one of those multi-use card games, mm-hmm. and when you get that opening set of cards... Those first six cards, and you're allowed to keep four of them. Right. You have to look at mostly what the deals are. You kind of want to look at what the spoils are. But you're also looking at the center to see what kind of building, what kind of benefit the card's going to give you if you travel to it and if you actually put it out into your tableau. And then... At that point, you have to decide for every single card, then are you going to turn it into a deal? Mm -hmm, Are you mm going to take that one resource every round? Are you going to maybe just raise it and get some immediate spoils from it? Right. Or are you going to build it into your tableau, maybe have a production building that's going to give you some stuff, maybe have an action card? But the interesting thing is when you play a card... Uh, into your display, into your tableau, those are the ones that can be attacked by other players. Right, right. And I was fortunate enough that nobody went after the last time we played. No. Nobody went after my skyscraper, and I probably got 12 or 15 points off of it throughout the game, which was very nice. Yeah, not going after that skyscraper was definitely a mistake, but it's one of the interesting things about the game because... You know, it, it's one of those things where you're often so concerned with what you're trying to do that you don't always notice what others are trying to do. And because the game rewards you for attacking but also rewards the person who was attacked, I find that sometimes it makes me a little reluctant to go after the other player, especially because you were always sitting on a bunch of bricks. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid that whatever card you might have might be just as good, if not better. And I didn't want to let you build it for cheap because most of those cards that require, or I'm sorry, most of those cards that are going to give you the two, three victory points, you know, every time you activate them with a variety of resources are at what's called distance three. And that means they're kind of expensive to build in game terms. It's it's not easy to build them. And so by giving you a free foundation, uh, I didn't know that I really wanted to do that. So I like that there's all those kinds of decisions that are baked into the game. But you can get tunnel vision a little bit. Yes, you can. And I, I also like the way the resources in the game work. Because as you pointed out, we have these four different factions. And every faction has a slightly different conversion rate right. for how they get those raise tokens, how they get those contact tokens for the deals, how they get those distance tokens. So when you get that opening set of cards and you look at your faction like you have to take all of that into consideration yeah carter had the mutants the last time and they're naturally very good with guns so one gun token gets him like three of these raise tokens right whereas i think for you it was one to one no no for me it was one to two so so i had one one to two two. as well yeah yeah, but I had the uh, one gear gets me one uh, distance token right yeah whereas he needed two yeah 
And I couldn't even use that for my distance tokens. I had to discard a card mm-hmm. and get rid of a brick right. for a distance token. Right. So the beginning of my game, the last time we played, all I did was get deals. Right. So that I could build up a quick pool of just these ammunition tokens, which are wild. So I could get some extra cards. I started getting victory points pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And between my deals then I wasn't so concerned about the fact that I hadn't built any buildings yet, and you guys had built like two or three of them already. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because each of the factions does play a little bit differently, and they present you with unique problems that you're going to have to deal with, um, things that you're going to have to kind of find a workaround for. You know, for example, um, the last time I played was with uh, New York, Mm -hmm. and New York is not very good at getting the contact tokens, the blue tokens, I have to turn in, I believe it was two uh, blue gas can tokens in order to get two contact tokens. Normally, you turn in one and you get two. Mm -hmm. So I was firing at like 50% efficiency there. And I don't produce. I don't start out producing any gasoline at all. And so I was really kind of – it was hard for me to figure out a way through deals and through production and through raising – to give myself that supply of the fuel that I needed in order to make the deals. It's also worth saying that Carter has like beaten me twice, um, coming ahead of me, making no deals whatsoever, which I would have thought would have been impossible in this game. Um, what what made you kind of decide, Carter? Do you remember like why you didn't want to make deals? Like why why did you just go away from that? Because I always thought that there was no way to win without deals. He's a gaming savant. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, this is my thought process. I always I always was a mutant every time I played the game. So I had the conversion rate of one gun into three attack arrows, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them. Mm-hmm. So I always thought, okay, so I'm either going to build it and get a consistent income of three. I'm not go- and I said I didn't want to trade it mm-hmm. because that would just give me one every turn and that would kind of so I figured, okay, so I should either build it or completely raise the item. So I could either raise it. So I kind of replaced the trading system with raising. That's a, that's an interesting point, right? Because a lot of times when you raise a card, you're getting two or three items, mm-hmm. right? Every time you raise, whereas when you make a deal, you're only getting one. So I was way really bad at trading. My class was way bad at trading, so... Right, right. Well, that's Nobody a, yeah. wants to trade with the mutants. Nobody wants to trade with the mutants. I don't know why. why. I don't know why. It might be the sticky yellow slime that comes <laughs> with all of their stuff. I or that you can see their brain yeah, popping out of the be, one side of their be. head. Something like that. I don't know. Great don't illustration. Know. Game you know? over, man. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, this was uh, this is a really, really interesting game. Uh, there's a, We haven't even cracked the expansions. I kept thinking to myself, all right, I want to crack open the expansions before I do the review so that we can really talk about the full kind of game and the full experience. Um, but I'm kind of a player that doesn't believe in opening expansions or adding expansions until I'm bored with the base game. And mm-hmm. so I have introduced this to quite a few people. I've played this game at least 10 times. Yeah. And you and I have played it at least three or four. Yeah. I've played it uh, two or three times with Carter. I've played it with Justin. I've played it with Jim. Everybody has really taken to this game, and I haven't gotten bored yet. Um, yeah. And I'm also I'm not winning consistently enough to where I feel like I've mastered it and therefore I want new challenges. And so to me... 
that's really the hallmark of a, of a really good game. Like when I don't need the expansion to complete it, you know, for a while there, it kind of seemed like games were being put out that were incomplete without the expansion. And this one is just, I think it's just a, a great experience in uh, just the base game. And so I'm eager to try out the other expansions, the winner and the new era, but I, I haven't really even needed it yet. So we may yeah. have to return to this one later, Lloyd, on another uh, Quick Looks episode, maybe with me and, and you and Carter, and talk a little bit about the expansions all on their own. Because at this point, um, I, I just kind of am still enjoying the base game, and, and I'm 10 games in at least. So this is really, really uh, an intriguing, it's a fun title. One of the other things that I absolutely love about this game is the fact that it literally, we timed it, didn't we? Yes, we did. It took like 48 seconds to set it up, right? (laughs) Yep. Because basically there's no point in separating any of the tokens. Nope. So we kind of make what we kind of affectionately call the junkyard in the middle of the table. We just (laughs) dump everything in the middle of the table, right? And it feels very apocalyptic when you do that. It's like you're going like picking through the the rubble of what's (laughs) left, right? And then, um, you know, give each player a faction board, um, you put out the scoreboard, you put the, the score markers out, and then there's these two decks of cards that are kind of uh, ways for you to get extra um, sort of uh, raise tokens or ways for you to get extra uh, contact. blue contact tokens. And, uh, you know, that's it. Like, you're, yep. you're ready to go. You, you shuffle up the cards and put one single deck out and boom, you know, start playing. And, you know, I, I've really come to enjoy games that don't have such a long setup. You know, I I love the game Mombasa, for example, but that thing is a pain to set. It takes me like twenty minutes to set that stupid game up. You know, I mean it's and and I say stupid game with all affection because I still own it and I still love playing it, but it doesn't. I'm finding that some games don't hit the table as often because of the enormous setup time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if I'm not really geared up for it, it's like now I'll just. I'll just do the component dump for 51st State and just dump it in the middle of the table and play that game, you know? So um, I really like the fact that the setup is incredibly quick with this one. Um, Carter, do you have any sort of final thoughts about this game? Is there maybe something that you don't like or something that you wish was different or that you wish was added or anything else you want to say before we kind of wrap up our discussion of 51st State Master Set? I can't think of anything I would change or anything I would make different or anything like that. I love the game. Well, thanks for sharing your opinion about that. It's it's one that I'm pretty fond of as well. Lloyd, how about you? Any final thoughts or anything about this? I also really enjoy the game. And, you know, not to compare it too much to Imperial Settlers, because it's, it's the same engine, but I kind of prefer this one more. It's almost like that DC Deck Builder versus Legendary. Ugh. Because, you know, DC Deck Builder, it's, it's a fun game, and you just throw down this deck of cards and you get right into it. Whereas Legendary, you have to build the deck and right, you have right. to construct a little bit. Um, it's been a while since I've played Imperial Settlers, but I like the fact that this one, you just you dump the components, you grab the deck of cards, and you just get into it right away. Yeah, You just yeah. start playing. There's definitely something to be said for that. I, I still think I prefer Imperial Settlers. And for people out there who are kind of wondering what the differences are, um, the, the, the player boards are almost identical Mm -hmm. you know you have your production section your feature section and your action section um you still have the same kind of resource conversion and things that you need to do you make deals Um, you make deals i mean everything is very very similar however there are some things in in imperial settlers that kind of separates it a little bit uh the most notable of course is that 
your faction is not just differentiated by how they gain their resources and their conversion rate. Your faction is also completely differentiated by a deck. So you have what's called the common deck in Imperial Settlers, which is kind of like what all of 51st State is. It's like mm-hmm. if you played Imperial Settlers with just the common deck, right? Yeah. And you didn't have all of these um, individual civilization decks, like for the Egyptians or the Atlanteans or the Romans or what have you. Um and there's no real deck building in this one. Uh, the only thing in 51st State, it says, hey, if you want to add an expansion, you can only add one. Don't add both. Um, just shuffle them, one of them into the deck and go. You know, go, man, go. It's like real simple. Mm-hmm. But in Imperial Settlers, you have that whole other layer of deck building and trying to kind of make an engine before you even sit down to play the game and coming up with a strategy and an idea and they're the, it's just a little bit deeper of a game, I would say. Um, it's longer for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more rules overhead in Imperial Settlers than there is in 51st State. That's for sure. Um, you don't have to differentiate between, you know, what side of my player board am I playing on? Am I playing on the faction side? Am I playing on the common side? Um, getting foundations and doing all this stuff. Everything is much more streamlined in 51st State. So... I think it's much more approachable, but I think Imperial Settlers is still probably my favorite only because of the depth of the gameplay and the depth of the pre-game decisions that you're making. So, you know, you you really can't compare them, I kind of feel, because even though they use very similar engines, they're two totally different vehicles, you know what I mean? Um, One of them is designed to be fast to jump into, low rules overhead, just go and play and the other is designed for you know uh, studying cards and building a deck and um, making crucial decisions about what am I going to include what am I not Um, managing the two sides of the player board um, managing the other powers of the other civilizations and trying to figure out how you can best interfere with their plans etc 51st state is just much more sort of uh, straightforward you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. um it's it's not it's not it doesn't have all the bells and whistles of imperial settlers but that's not necessarily a bad thing i think it depends on what you're looking for so if you're you know thinking about both games you've heard about both games and you're thinking well you know i'm gonna get one and not the other i kind of think they're two totally different animals you know i think what you should do to base your decision is you should say am i looking for this sort of richer, more complex, deeper kind of gameplay, longer play time, um, something that's going to be maybe a little more challenging over the long term, or am I looking for something that I can play with some friends in an hour that's quick to set up and is, still has meaningful, really good, important decisions, and all kinds, of, as Carter said, lots of paths that you can take, lots of strategies to employ. I mean, don't think that the game's not deep. But it's just like it's not as deep, I don't think, as Imperial Settlers. So I kind of think they fit two totally different niches. And so therefore, at the end of the day, even though on the surface they appear to be very similar, I don't really think that they can be, nor should they be compared. So uh, that's kind of our thoughts, and uh, that's our review for Imperial Settlers. Carter, are you going to give this a thumbs up? You, you know, What would you say on a scale of uh, zero being burn the game? Uh, and then stomp on the ashes and then hurl them into the air. And 10 being, this is the best game I've ever played. Like, where would you put it? Because I don't want to use one of Mr. Lloyd's weird scales. So <laughs> Six would... bunny rabbits and a wrench. I don't know what that means. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> 
So I would rate it seven ice cubes in a glass of water. Seven ice cubes in a glass of water. Thank you very much. Seven out of ten ice cubes, huh? You like that. Okay, he's sitting here drinking water in his glass. So I guess that was your inspiration, yes? Yes. Very nice, yeah. So uh, a seven out of ten. That's a that's a good score. That's a good score. What about you, Lloyd? What would you rate this? I one? would probably put this like seven and a half to eight out of ten. Um, I like it again for the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, seven you probably and give it a seven and a half. An eight. I actually would give it an eight, um, but that's only because I would give Imperial Settlers an eight and a half or a nine. So you know, Imperial Settlers has kind of grown into one of my more favorite games. So this one, I, I think, even after as many plays as I've had, I'm not bored with it. And I haven't even opened the expansion. So to me, that's going to bump it from the 7 to the 8. So I, I think i got to give this one an 8 for that reason. So uh, those are our thoughts about 51st State Master Set. So next up, we have a new title from Crash Games or Crash of Games called um, it's it's I'm sorry the the company has recently back when I first started uh, looking at their titles uh, great games like Council of Verona they were just called Crash Games now they're called Crash of Games and uh, this is Patrick Nichols um, uh, game company uh, that he founded and so uh, it's now Crash of Games if you're uh, going to think about looking them up uh, after listening to these reviews today uh, Fish Frenzy and plums. So we're going to start off with Fish Frenzy tonight. Uh, This is a game that uh, was released this year, 2016. The designer is Brett Gilbert, and the artist is listed as Quanchai Moria. Uh, I think I'm probably butchering uh, the first name. I apologize for that, Uh, but uh, that is the artist of record for Fish Frenzy. This is a game that plays about 20 to 30 minutes, and I'd say that's pretty accurate. Um, It is a family game. At its heart, it is pretty much uh, what I would call a bidding game and a set collection game. Uh, There are seven different types of fish, and there are crabs. And there are fishing boats that are set out in the middle of the table. And every round, what you're going to do is you're going to flip up two cards from a deck of these cards that include the fish and the crabs. And you're going to put two cards underneath every ship. At that point, players are then going to take a little token that they have. It's a little seagull token. And they're going to put their seagull on the ship that they're going to try and do one of two things. They're either going to try and eat some of the fish that are on that boat. uh, Or they are going to just capture the fish from the boat and take them back home. Okay? So they're going to eat them themselves. They're going to take them back for their young. It's kind of the way I'm looking at them, right? So they can chew them up and do the mama bird thing. (laughs) So... Um, The way the game works is um, the cards are laid out underneath the ships and there's a variable number of ships depending on the number of players because the game plays from three to five. And uh, the artwork on the cards is really nice. I I have to say, actually the artwork in the game is really nice. Um, It's very family friendly, bright colors, really cute, uh, kind of adorable illustrations, different kinds of fish like swordfish and ruffy and mackerel and uh, salmon and all kinds of eels all kinds of really neat fish and then of course the crabs and so what you're trying to do is you're going to place your uh, seagull out which is your bid token and you're going to select one of these ships that you want to interact with either eating fish yourself or taking fish back for your young and then the other player is going to do the same thing but the trick is is if one of the other players likes the ship that you're on they can send their seagull to the same ship and try to fight you right so fight me fight me 
So what they'll do is they'll place their seagull token on the same um, ship that you might have yours on. And then every player starts off with four of these little fish tokens. And these little fish tokens you will then start to add to your seagull to increase your bid. So if I'm on a ship that, say, has an eel and a mackerel under it, and that's what I want. Lloyd also, however, is collecting eels, so he might want that. So I'll put my seagull token on that, and then Lloyd will come and he'll put a seagull and a fish. Now, it's back to me. Carter hasn't even taken a turn yet. He hasn't even selected a boat. And that's okay, because he might actually... That might work out for him, because if you and I are kind of duking it out and kind of weakening each other, he might end up getting a, a better selection later. So then I have a choice. I can either retreat and go to another boat, or... I can throw out two of my little fish tokens. So now it's my seagull plus two to your seagull plus one. And then it's going to go straight back to you. And so we keep kind of upping the ante one little fish at a time, adding it, until one of us says, all right, fine, I'm out of here. Or one of us says, I can't beat that. And at that point, you then have to uh, basically leave. You're going to go uh, to another boat. And that's where you're going to stay. You're going to go to another boat and hope that someone else doesn't come and mess with you. And all the little fish that you use to try to win the bid for that boat are going to be lost to you. So this is why one of the options is eating fish. Because if you eat fish when you interact with a boat, you're going to get little fish tokens to kind of resupply yourself. You start with four but I think you have something like what? I think you have like eight, eight, or, or, nine, eight or nine yeah. of the little fish tokens per player. And so as you use them, you can replenish them. But when you choose to eat fish, you're not going to gain the fish cards that are underneath. And as a matter of fact, you're actually going to look at the rightmost card underneath the ship. And the cards have little icons on them to show the number of fish that you will take if you eat that and then there's also some modifiers for the particular boats. I don't think we need, really need to get into that. But um, suffice it to say, you can either take little fish or you can take all of the cards and put them in your display. So that's the set collection part of the game. Very easy to understand. The scoring is super simple. You can, uh, whoever has the most of each type of fish, of the seven fish, gets four points. Second place player, uh, I'm sorry, gets three points. Second place player gets one. If there's a tie, the same four points is divvied among the first and second place player. They each get two. And you're going to just kind of go through the cards at the end of the game, say, hey, who has the most mackerel, who has the most sailfish, who has the most, uh, you know, uh, roughy, who has, and and you just kind of score it up, and you find out who won. In a sort of advanced game, there's these sort of goal cards, and you're going to put out two of them each turn. And they're going to give a little bit more direction for players that will give them an idea of, hey, you know, maybe I'll try to do this because maybe it'll give you a bonus if you have all seven different colors of fish in your display at the end of the game. So that's kind of neat. Um, And it makes the game a, a little bit more interesting for kind of, you know, gamers, I would say. Um, but this is definitely a, a kind of a light family game, and nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's, there's plenty of need for those kind of games. So um, that's kind of a, an overview of how the game is played. Um, Lloyd, do you want to share a little bit of your thoughts about uh, Fish Frenzy? Yeah, what I actually liked about this is it's a short but very mean game. It is me. Because I spent most of the last game kind of just going wherever Carter was and <laughs> I've got fish with me. Fly away. 
little boy. And uh, it, it didn't win me the game. Kind of like the bald eagle of the game. <laughs> yes, I was the bald eagle of the game just about. And it didn't win me the game, but I beat Carter. So Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it can, it can turn into a very mean game because, like any bidding game, um, if you lose that bid... Well, something's going to have to happen. And in this game, when you lose the bid, you have to go to another boat. Right, right. You can't just stay there and say, well, then I don't get anything for this round. No, you have to go to another boat. Right. And sometimes that last boat that hasn't been taken has a lot of crabs or has all the cards that nobody really cares about. Now you're like, well... All right, so now I'm left with this really suboptimal boat, and maybe you can recover from it next round, maybe not. So I, I did like the fact that this is kind of a mean game, but it's real quick. It is. And it so is. it's over, and it's not like I'm going to spend an hour... Stomping on somebody. Stomp yeah. on somebody, <laughs> and you know they're never going to want to play this game again. No, it's over in 20 minutes, and you know, oh, okay, so it was kind of mean for 20 minutes. Let's go play something fun now where we're not beating up each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think it's interesting to kind of note, you know, fun, right? I mean, you want to talk about fun. You know, to me, this is a, a game that I don't have any problem really with the meanness factor. I mean, I'll, I'll complain about it. You know, somebody takes the cards I want. You know, right. why not? But, um, you know, it doesn't, like, affect me. But uh, since it is like a family game, I kind of feel it's designed for families it's designed to be a lighter game it's got that great player count of three to five yep most families are three to five and so it's really kind of perfect but it is a little mean and i would just caution people to kind of be aware of that because if you're going to play with kids especially young kids they might get a little upset you know if you're kind of outbidding them or or whatever and and taking the stuff that they really wanted Um, Because one of the things that we didn't talk about is the fact that uh, crab cards, um, they really don't do anything for you. They just give you negative points at the end of the game. So every crab card you've collected is a minus one. And the scores in this game seem to range somewhere between like six or seven up to like 14. So it's a low scoring game. And therefore, you know, a, a few points here or there is a big deal, you know. Um, and so that, that's something I think that, that people need to be aware of is that there is a little bit of a meanness factor to the game. Even though the game is light, super easy to teach, super easy to play, beautiful artwork. And there's even this wonderful little thought that they put into the components, which is you, you basically have one boat out for each player that's in the game. And at the end of the game, if you flip the boats, uh, these big boat mats, they're nice thick cardboard, you flip them over... They're score they're scoreboards. And, and so, it's a little dock with a yeah, pier. You follow the path of the dock. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really nice. And so each player has their own scoreboard. And that's like a really nice touch. Like they didn't have to do that, have that double-sided board. And I thought that was a really nice touch and really like that. And it's kind of cute and it adds to the sort of allure of the game. But um, there are times when you might feel like you're in a bit of a knife fight. And so you got to be careful about, you know, feelings, you know, uh, in the game. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Speaking of feelings, Carter, uh, what did you feel about this game? Is this uh, a game that you enjoyed? or What were your thoughts about Fish Frenzy? Well, it definitely has great artwork. That's what I like about the game. Mm -hmm. Though the game in general, I don't particularly like. It's mostly because... um, there are only two actions you can partake in the game, and the game's half an hour, so it's you do two things for half an hour. 
And the other thing I don't like about the game is it's a bidding game, though you can't really put like five in at one time, like what as you would do in the bidding game and wait to see what the other player do. It's kind of like not really a bidding mechanism. It's okay, I'm gonna place a fish down, you're gonna place two, then I'm gonna place three fish down, and it's not really a bidding mechanism in my mind. That's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. So, yeah, I mean, because we did look that up in the rules because we were kind of curious, you know, whether or not you could try to intimidate other players by, like, splashing your seagull and three fish. You know, just boom, that just happened, right? Mm -hmm. Who wants to bring a seagull and four fish to this party? No one? I didn't think so, you know, and kind of use that as an intimidation thing the way sometimes bidding games do, right? And Carter's right, you know, in reading the rules, it says that you have to add one fish, and then the next person has to add one more, and then the next person going back and forth, one more. And so there isn't that opportunity to try to make that big splash. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, and I think it's just mostly to make it more kid-friendly, like so no one kind of makes the kids cry or anything, like we were young kids. <laughs> okay, and that's true, but at the same time, I get your point from a gamer's perspective, right? Yes. Like that it's it's it's... You can oftentimes you can look at how many little fish does Lloyd have? How many do I have? Is there any point in me getting into a bidding war with him? He's got one more than I do. I know I'm going to lose going into it. Like if he now, of course, there's always the chance that he might not want to invest all of his little fish into that. But in general, it's not too hard to get them back by using the eating action. And so. I kind of found most of the time when there's a bidding war, there's a good reason for it. Like each of you needed those cards and that was going to determine who was in first place uh, at the moment um, in a, you know, a particular category of fish. And so people were kind of willing to go all in. But when you're going all in one at a time back and forth, it kind of makes it a little more anticlimactic, I think. But, but I think you're also right that keeping it simple with the one fish at a time is something really easy for kids to do and for younger players to do. So I think you're right. I think from a family game perspective, I think it works just fine. From a gamer's perspective, I mean, you know, you've played hundreds of games, right, Carter? Yes. So for you, maybe the decisions just weren't as interesting, right? Yeah, there were only two decisions, and they really will place something out, or they won't place something out. They will... Eat something or take cards. Right, right. And, and then you build your tableau, right? So, and, you know, and, and the tableau building is face up as well I, as I think it should be. I think if you did it face down and nobody knew what everybody had, I mean, that, that would kind of elevate it to a different memory game kind of a thing. And I hate memory games, so I'm glad it's face up. I also up. hate memory games. Yes, yes. So I think that would have been a mistake. So, you know, on the whole, I kind of found the game to be fun. I found it to be light. I like the addition of the little extra goal cards that are kind of thrown out there. Um, there's like a trophy card and an event card sort of a thing. Um, and again, you know, the artwork is fantastic. The game is super easy to teach. Um, really, really quick. Um, I, I kind of disagree with Carter a little bit in that, yeah, there's only really two decisions you're making. It's either A or B. But for the kind of game that it is, I think that's fine, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to want to present someone with Arkwright, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, the weeping of the children. So I think that this is like a really good family game. Um, my only concern about it 
is that meanness factor that you talked about, Lloyd. Like whether or not that's going to be too mean for some families. Now, if you're a kid like Carter or, you know, kids that have been playing games for a long time and know how to lose and who, you know, don't necessarily like to lose but know how to lose gracefully and understand that losing is an opportunity to kind of learn from the mistakes that you made and then try to do something different next time, you're going to have no problem with this game. It'll be great. But if you're playing with kids who don't usually play games, this is kind of mean in the same way like sorry is. Right, You yeah. know, where it's like, oh, look, you go back to start. Oh, too bad, right? I mean, because I remember playing sorry when I was – you don't – we not, I never played sorry yeah, with I you. Played, I didn't play I any of those games with <laughs> yeah. you. I played sorry sliders when I was Sorry sliders sorry was sliders. cool, though. That's a good game. But anyway, um, yeah, it's kind of like that. You know, it's like that that same kind of take that as in sorry. And I remember growing up, people getting bent out of shape over sorry. I mean, like, people did not always think that was funny to be said. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's my only caveat to the game. Uh, the production quality is great. I love the double-sided boards. I like the, the little fish. Uh, the seagull tokens, I wish they, you know, they, they're big and chunky. The first player token is awesome. I wish the seagull looked a little more like a seagull. Um, they kind of look like a seagull that's sitting um, in profile, but it, they almost look like seals. I remember the first thing when I opened them, I'm like, oh, look, they're seals. And it's like, no, they're not seals. <laughs> it's they're seagulls. Seal. It's like a seal. I'm like, oh, seals and fish, you know, cool. You know, no, 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 Do they're seagulls. seagulls eat seagulls? No, seals eat fish, though. So, yeah, so, I mean, the the components are really, really nice. Um, I wish the sculpt on the seagull was a little bit different, but uh, other than that, I I really uh, think this is a good family game as long as you don't mind a little bit of uh, nasty take that. Uh, Lloyd, do you have any final thoughts about the game as the dog drinks out of her bowl and (laughs) makes lots of lapping noises? Let's listen. Yes. Thank you, Haley. So loud, Haley. I enjoyed this game because, like I said, it, it's quick and it's kind of mean. And for me, you know, sometimes I'm really in the mood for a, a game where you can just, like, get in each other's face. Mm-hmm. Um, you can give a little bit of that, take that. And this is the right kind of length, right kind of weight. I'm not making agonizing decisions right, that are right, crushing yeah. me for the rest of the game. Right, right. No, like, I'm just like yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm just like, oh, well... Okay, I'm going to outbid you here. Oh, sorry, now you have to go to this boat, and this boat is yucky. Ah, too bad. All right, next round. Oh, I don't have those fish anymore, so I guess you're going to outbid me. You know, it's it's got a little bit of that give and take with the give with yeah, the yeah. take that. And I also like the fact that playing as the red player, all of the fish look like beating hearts. <laughs> Kalima! Shakti! They do. They look like little hearts. With the valves. No. No, you turn them sideways and it's... <laughs> It's the four heart valves sticking out. They totally do. I think you mean the arteries, not the valves, right? You mean the arteries, like the aorta and stuff? Yeah, all of that. It looks like a beating heart. I think they look like fish. I don't know where the Kalibar seals the worst. You know where Kalimah's hey, from, hey, right? I know, from that horrible, that, that Indiana, Indiana Jones and in the movie. Temple of Doom. That was such oh. a terrible movie. No, but like, <laughs> so you get the seals in this. To intimidate your opponent, you throw a beating heart on the top. <laughs> tells you how much I want this one. Now it's like the telltale heart. Edgar Allan Poe. These aren't seagulls, they're ravens. Heaving <laughs> like, hearts on the boat. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> well, you would 
Oh, man. I think they look like fish, for the record. I don't know where he gets the beating heart thing, but that's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Fish Frenzy is a fun game. Uh, we like it. Carter's a little on the fence about it. Um, but uh, Lloyd and I think it's a it's a nice family game. Uh, you know, Carter just warns that, you know, if you're looking for something with more decisions, more variety in decisions and things like that, then maybe you want to, uh, you know, take a look at it first. So... Uh, those are our thoughts, and that's our review for Fish Frenzy. So the last game that we're going to be taking a look at tonight is a game called Plums. Uh, this is also from Crash of Games. Uh, this is a game by Matthias Kramer. Um, it was originally released in uh, uh, Germany as Pimau Plowman. Um, or a Pimau Flaumann. I, I think the, the Flaumann is uh, plums in German, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it was a game that was released and uh, has kind of worked its way over here a little bit on the import market, uh, number one through GameSurplus.com, uh, my sponsor, uh, who had quite a few copies of it and was bringing them over rather regularly. Well, now uh, Crash has uh, brought the game, and they have it uh, printed here uh, now and available in the United States uh, for everybody, and it is now just called Plums. So um, for this game kind of overview, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lloyd to kind of describe this uh, interesting little trick-taking game. So go ahead, Lloyd. Uh, tell us a little bit about how to play. Oh, sure. This is a trick-taking game that's going to take place over three rounds. You have round one, round two, round three, and they each have their own separate little mini-deck of 25 cards. Now, if you're playing with less than the full number of players, which is five, you're going to have to take some of those cards out. Mm -hmm. But essentially, you're dealt um, anywhere from five... Six, maybe even seven. Uh, well, five or six cards. Five or six cards. Either five or six, because you're taking cards out. You get five cards, I think, if you're playing the full, full five. five. Yep. Because that's there's only enough for that. All the other player counts after you remove the cards, you're going to get six, but you're only going to play five. So you're either playing everything in your hand in the five-player game, or you're playing five out of the six cards in the three- and four-player game. Yep. Yes. So in the middle of the cards, you have you have this really nice artwork of lots of different fruits. Beautiful art, yeah. Really nice artwork. And throughout the game, you're going to be playing one at a time these cards out of your hand to try and win or possibly not win a mm -hmm, trick. Mm -hmm. So the way the game works is um, whoever's the start player, which is chosen at random at the beginning of the game, uh, you're going to lead a card. Now, the only thing you're really looking at are the card numbers, mm -hmm. but also some of the cards have different actions, which I'll talk about in a minute. Once everybody at the table has played one card out of their hand, you're going to find out who's the start player uh, by looking at the number value on those cards. Whoever has the highest number is going to go first, and the lowest number is going to go last. And, you know, you just go numerical value in between those. And there are cards that you kind of put out on the table to say, okay, right. who's first, second, third, fourth, or, or what have yeah, you. just and, these nice little placeholders. Right, yeah. and that's going to determine uh, who picks cards from the display first, second, third, and fourth, etc., yes. right? So the interesting thing about this trick-taking game is, like you just said, you're actually going to then select and pick up one of the cards that was put out into that trick in numerical order. So if I throw the highest card at the table and I'm the first player, I can pick up any card on the table, including the card that I played out of my hand. Right, right. Now, the interesting thing is if you have to throw a really low card and you're the last player, 
You might think, well, all that stinks. You're going to get left with, you know, whatever's left. And yes, you are. But the last player in turn order also gets a wild card, these plum cards. Yeah. And they're nice because they can be used as any other fruit, including themselves, for different chances to score. You're going to do this for three rounds, and as you collect these cards one at a time, you're going to make this nice big display of all these different fruits in front of you. But there's lots of different actions. So the first thing to talk about is the fact that some of the cards have the opportunities to score. And the cards will say something like AA for five points, meaning any pair of matching cards will turn into five points. Now, the interesting thing is, let's say that AA with five points is on an orange card. There's a picture of an orange in the center. If I have another orange in my display, I can use that other orange along with that card itself to make those two points. I flip over the one that has the five points on it. The other one gets discarded. But let's say instead of having another orange, maybe I have two apples in front of me. Well, those two apples also fulfill that AA, a mm -hmm. single mm -hmm. pair for five points. So now those two cards go out, plus that third card gets flipped over for some points. So you actually have a little bit of decision-making sometimes in how you create these scoring opportunities. Now, there's everything from two of a kind, there's three of a kind, there's, there's full house, full yeah. house yeah. there's two pair, and then there's a small straight, or there's a small straight, mm -hmm. which is like A, B, C, D, and then a large, then a large straight, straight yeah. of A, B, C, D, E. So there's a lot of different interesting scoring opportunities. But the hardest part is, if you're sitting there with a hand full of these scoring opportunities, the chances that you're going to be able to take all of them yourself are very slim. Right. Because sometimes those scoring opportunities are on cards that are a very low number. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it seems like the better the scoring opportunity, meaning if it's like an ABCD card, which might be worth 10 or 12 points, I can't remember, that ABCD card is on a 4 right. or a 5. Well, the deck goes up to 25. 25. So chances are, if you put that card out in the center, you ain't getting it because <laughs> yeah. you're going to be picking you know, last or next to last, which means the first, second, and third player are going to have the opportunity to scoop that up because, hey, I've already got cards on my display. I can fulfill this order right now. So then sometimes it becomes uh, a matter of when do I play those cards, you know, and, and how do I play those cards? And it's only after playing for a while that I, I started to kind of pick up on it because I was terrible at it. Uh, I really am not great at trick-taking games. The only exception is diamonds. Uh, yeah. I really like diamonds. But most trick-taking games and, and things like that, I'm just I'm not good at. Uh, I don't see it. After playing plums a little bit, though, I started to see um, some opportunities. And I think one of the things that I would say in this review that I feel is a must is I don't know that I liked it as a five-player because you can't bury a card. Whereas in the four-player game, there were times when I had a scoring card and I just knew that you know Carter was going to be able to fulfill that. I wasn't going to be able to fulfill it. It was on a card that was a low number, which means I wasn't going to get to take it back myself. So why play it at all? You know, I'm not going to play it and give somebody else the opportunity. Well, in a five-player game, you have to play every card in your hand. And so sometimes you're like feeding. If you, you get that Lost Cities feeling of like, am I going to punch myself in the throat or stab myself <laughs> in the eye with a pencil? 
you know? <laughs> what shall I do? Perhaps I'll perhaps I'll pull up on my thumbnail. That will be fun. You know, it's like you kind of feel like, okay, how am I gonna hurt myself, you know, this round? And I hate that about some trick-taking games, like feeling like all that I have are bad choices. But when you play the three and four player game and you're able to hold that card back, or you got a little bit of wiggle room, I think that's awesome. Um, I also think that one of the things that I've kind of discovered about this game that I think is very important is one of the things we haven't talked about, which is the pie part. So I didn't get to the other actions I know, yet. You I know, I interrupted me. you. All right, well, why don't you tell us about the pie cards then? We'll All go right, back so to you. We, we've got a couple different actions as well. Uh, yeah, we didn't talk with, about the other actions. Didn't talk yep. about the other actions, but you've got you know the ability to score. Then you have what are literally called pie cards, and it's not P-I-E, as you might expect with all these fruits, but it's literally the number pie. <laughs> right. And the cards are great because all it shows is somebody's like notebook and a pencil right. and it's literally pie written out <laughs> to like the 50th character of pie right. in this little minuscule a little drawing it's, of it's a circle yeah, little, yeah. You know. it's really cool yeah but what the pie cards do is you can add them to your bid and they add exactly 3.14 per card yeah, per you card can multiples you yeah. can add multiples so what that does is it it actually means that there won't ever be a tie because if I look and Jeff just played um, the 22 card right? and I'm sitting there and I've got the 19 and I really want to take that 22 card, I can play the 19 and a pie card and now I have 22.14. So <laughs> right. I'm winning! Yay! Right. right, right. And with these pie cards, if you take a card that has the ability to give you pie cards, you get three of them. Right. You can hang on to those cards as long as you want. You can play one of them. You can play two of them. You can play all three of yep, them. Yep, which is what I want, did in the, in the last game we yep. played. I had a I had a, a scoring card, had a low number, but I jacked it up with three pie cards, and all of a sudden I did get first pick, and I was able to take it right back. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you also have the ability, I love this ability, you have the steal ability on some of the cards. Mm-hmm. And what that lets you do is when you select that card, you actually get to steal somebody else's card in front of them. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be really mean except for the fact that, yes, there is a way to block that. There is one card in this game that's called the Watchdog. Right, the dog. And it's, it's really cool. It's got a dog on one side and a different kind of dog on the other. And the, the dog kind of sits there on your farm or your orchard or your... And he's, yeah, he's your guarding whatever. your stuff. And yeah. he's guarding your stuff. So in a three-player game, he's really important. He's powerful, yeah. Because yeah. that pretty much negates the other two players from being able to steal from you, mm-hmm. and they just have to go back and forth between each other. Including stealing those scoring cards. Yes, including you know, those scoring cards. Because sometimes you're like so happy, you're like, yay, I got a scoring card, and then somebody in the next round plays a steal card, and it's like, oh, there it goes. Yep. Like, I worked so hard to get that stupid scoring card, and now somebody just took it from me before I was able to score it, and now I'm sunk, right? And they might have been able to score it right away. Right, right. Just to to add insult to injury. It's like thumbing thumbing their nose at you (laughs) after they uh, just uh, gut-punched you. So, yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. Um, You know, between the pie cards, the scoring cards, the stealing cards, and the watchdog card... Uh, it's a very interesting game. I got to say, I didn't really care for it too much on my first play. I was kind of like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I couldn't get any scoring cards. Um, and I was playing with a friend of mine, Steve Oxenic, and uh, his wife and you and my wife. And I just wasn't really seeing. So after a while, I started kind of playing open hand and asking Steve, like, 
what would you do here? Like I just and and he gave me some pointers and and helped me out. And then after playing it some more, I kind of started to see some of these things about the importance of the pie cards. Um, see some of the things about the importance of when you know you want to lead. And when you don't want to lead, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, sometimes it's important to play a low card because if you play a low card, like you get those plums and those plums are wild and those are very important. So there's all kinds of interesting kind of decisions to make, even though you're only playing one card. So basically you're playing three rounds and you're playing five, uh, five cards. cards, right? So, so that's 15, 15 cards. cards. Yeah. Yep. That's all you're going to be doing. Um, and so I, I've, I've kind of grown to warm up to this a little bit. Um, I would be curious, Carter, um, you haven't played this a bunch. You only played it once. Um, you played it uh, with us today before we did the review because I kind of wanted to get your sort of impressions about it, what you thought of it, um, because we haven't played a lot of trick-taking games before other than, like, Diamonds. So what did you think of Plums? Did you have any uh, thoughts about this game? Well, one thing I didn't like is how the gold dog was not kind of... It was kind of specified to one person in the fully player game. Right. So, basically, it would be... Okay, so Lloyd would get a taking card, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Steal. A steal card, yeah. And he would have to steal from me because you have a dog. Right. And he, he was looking at me like, hmm, what should I take? Oh, I like this one. He's like, oh, I can't take from you. That's true. That's true. In a three-player game, you can end up kind of getting... Uh, hammered quite a bit and I think that guard dog is also important there are times when I played a high card and I think at one point in the game Carter I played a high card with a pie card just so that I didn't take my card I took a dog card that somebody else had played just to hold on to the dog because there's not very many of those dog cards in each of the decks and so you're right they're very important especially in a three-player game um, what did you think about uh, the the scoring cards and the trick taking? Did you uh, find it enjoyable? Was it a like an interesting puzzle for you, or uh, did you not care for that? Or what, what did you think? Well, I like how it's mostly just a deck of cards and how you kind of repurpose the cards in different ways as a scoring card and as just hand cards, and it's just a little. It's not a my kind of big like cards but just the special abilities mm-hmm. like with the special abilities is also in addition to strawberry or something right and the art is absolutely beautiful it is it is Ooh. and you know now that you mentioned that art again carter i do want to give a shout out to the artist which is uh looks like dennis uh lohausen um would be my guess so dennis lohausen did the art and it is absolutely gorgeous it's that kind of beautiful almost like audubon style i think they actually talk about in the rule book i don't remember the name of the artist that they were uh, fashioning uh kind of or, or inspired by this artist i think it was a, a woman too and darn it i can't remember maybe uh, i'll look it up as we're talking here why don't you see if you can find it lloyd it was in the rule book somewhere but it's kind of got that super realistic audubon kind of style of art and each fruit is kind of uh, hanging on whatever tree or whatever kind of plant would make that fruit. And then it's kind of cross-sectioned a little bit, like it's got like a slice cut out of it so that you can see the color of the flesh, the color of the skin, the pit or the seed, um, you know, and, and then it shows you the leaf of the plant. It shows you the flower of the plant. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, did you find the name of the artist? Yeah, her name is Maria Sibilia Marion, and she was actually a naturalist, but she was also an explorer who did kind of her own illustrations and artwork. 
Oh, cool. Okay. All right. So she was an explorer as well. So uh, I believe that, you know, that the artist kind of um, was inspired by her work. And I got to tell you, it's beautiful. I mean, it looks like scientific illustration, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but in full color, like watercolors, just absolutely gorgeous. So I agree with you, Carter. The artwork is just fantastic. So you like the multi-use card thing again. Um, One of the things that I think I appreciated about this, uh, Lloyd and Carter, was the fact that there weren't too many actions and the icons were like super clear, you know, like the take icon, like steal a card. It just kind of showed a display of cards with an arrow, like leading away right? and one card sliding out. And, you know, the dog has a dog and, you know, everything was very straightforward. And I really like the sort of iconography, the recipe building, you know, the A, A, B, 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 like the full house one, or, um, you know, the A, B, C, D, like it was very easy to kind of look at them and know what it was that you needed to do. I didn't have to reference the rule book at all until I wanted to find out, you know, the artist's name. So uh, I think that was really, really cool. The art on the back is nice too, isn't it, Carter? Uh, On the backs of the cards, it kind of shows uh, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? Um, does it show turning into a butterfly? I can't tell. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It's first a, the, the first deck is kind of got like, it's like a green deck and it shows like a caterpillar on a leaf. And then the second kind of deck shows it and it's kind of poopa kind of stage where it's all wrapped up in its cocoon. Yep. And then the third deck shows, uh, you know, a, a beautiful butterfly kind of coming, uh, you know, out of the cocoon. And so... Really, really nice artwork and a great way to differentiate the decks easily when you're sorting the cards at the end of the game. So um, I found that this was a game that was difficult for me to get into, but I've kind of warmed up to it a little bit. I'm eager to keep playing it and seeing if it really is something that I'm going to continue to enjoy or whether it's something that's going to fizzle for me. But for right now, I would say I'm definitely intrigued by it, which is a good thing because Typically, I don't like uh, trick-taking games because of what I just talked about, that Lost Cities effect, I call Mm -hmm. it, where it's like, okay, how can I hurt myself the least with all of these horrible (laughs) choices I have? And this one is not as forgiving as Diamonds at all. It really isn't. Diamonds is very forgiving, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons I like it. Um, This one is not as forgiving, but it kind of feels a little more challenging in some ways, and so therefore... I, I kind of am intrigued by it. What, what about you, Lloyd? Do you have any final thoughts or, or things maybe you didn't care for? Or uh, what did you think about it? I, I really enjoyed it. And unlike a lot of trick-taking games, you don't have to worry about leading with a suit. You don't have to worry about trying to follow up with a suit. You're simply looking at the number on the card and you're kind of making almost that tactical decision. Do I want to try and beat the bid or go lower than the bid because, you know, maybe I don't want to be first. Right. Or maybe now's the time, like you said before, where I really need to get that plum right. for free by going last. I think the, the the main strategy in this game is just looking at the different actions that you get in your hand and trying to decide when is the best time to play those. Right. Because you're never guaranteed to get the card that you play. So again, it's all about, well, if I know I'm going to be the last person this round to actually put a card out for the bid, now I have a lot of power. Because I can decide, looking at my hands, am I going to throw that really low card that's got a great scoring opportunity, knowing that I'm going to go last? Right, right. Or do I throw something and maybe get to choose second? I'm not super thrilled with the cards that are in the table, 
But you know what? If I go second, I can take my own card and hopefully get to steal from somebody else. So I think there's a lot of decisions in this, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And it's a quick game again. It's, you know, it's maybe in that half an hour niche, which I'm really starting to appreciate with, you know, kind of light, quick games like this. Yeah, yeah. Carter, do you have any final thoughts about the game? Do you, is there anything that you know you want to share that either you liked or didn't like or wish was different? Or you know, what are your final thoughts about it? Well, the one thing I prefer we don't have is not prefer we don't have is I prefer we don't like is the fact that when you put the, your cards face down for your score pile, you kind of sometimes get confused with your hand, mostly because you put your fa- hand face down and then your score pile face down. So, like, one or two times that I accidentally picked up my score pile. So maybe there should be some sort of mark or anything that will a- indicate that it is your score pile. That's a really good idea because I had the same problem. I had the same problem because if if you just scored a card and it's from the same... Uh, era or whatever you want to call it is from the same round so I you know scored a card and it's got the same illustration on the back as the current round and I put it face down then yeah sometimes I was confused like okay now where's my hand cards because you know because once you play your one card you kind of put your cards down like you don't need to hold them in your hand Um, especially because you, you put out these nice little marker cards for you know, who's picking first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And so I kind of agree with you, Carter. If there was like a little marker or something like that, even just like a little wooden disc that you could just say, okay, I'm going to put that little disc on top. A small butterfly. Yes, a small butterfly that did not look like a heart, right? A small (laughs) butterfly that you would put. um, That's an excellent idea, actually, that you would then just put on that little stack of cards that hopefully you're accumulating as your score pile uh, that would really, really be a nice addition to this game because then it would eliminate any confusion. Uh, I know there was at least one time in the last game that I played with you guys where I did exactly what you said. I picked up the cards and I'm looking at them and the only thing that kind of tipped me off right away that I was looking at the wrong set of cards is because every one of them was a scoring card. I'm like, oh, wait, these are the scoring cards. And I kind of put it down. Where did I put my – oh, my hand cards are over here. So, yeah, I think that would be a, a good suggestion. Maybe for future editions, you know, it, it wouldn't cost a lot to have just the five little uh, colored discs in there uh, or butterflies, uh, as you said, little markers that you could put on the card. So uh, other than that, uh, I really enjoy the game. Uh, Matthias Kramer has made a lot of good games, and this one uh, has really got me intrigued. So if you like trick-taking games, if you like a short trick-taker, if you like one that's got a lot of good tactical kind of uh, choices and things in it, I would definitely say for me, take a look at Plums. Um, how would you rate this one, Lloyd, on, on our 1 to 10 scale here? I would probably put this around a 7, 7.5. Seven 7.5. Seven I, I, I definitely liked it, and I will continue to play it anytime you want to. Okay. Uh, Carter, what about you? You only played it once, so this is just an initial kind of a, a gut feeling from you. My initial thought is 7.5 between 8. Oh, okay. So you, you liked it a little bit more, Mr. Lloyd. Okay. Um, For the sort of genre of game, I think it's very good. Okay, cool. Um, I kind of originally would have rated this like a 6. You know, a five and a half, a six, because my first play was not very enjoyable. But future plays, I've enjoyed it more. So I'm saying I'm probably in that seven range right now. And I'm intrigued because I think it could go up or it could come down. You know, I, I don't know. It really is going to depend on 
how well I grasp the game moving forward, I have a feeling. Um, and maybe this will be one that will uh, go in that sort of bin with diamonds as trick takers I will actually play. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our thoughts about uh, this latest title from Crash of Games, uh, publisher here in the United States, uh, Matthias Kramer's Plums or Pie My Flaumen. So go check it out. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Quick Looks from The Long View. This has been episode 19, where we've reviewed 51st State, Fish Frenzy, and Plums. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you're intrigued by any of these titles, I would strongly suggest you go check out GameSurplus.com. They have a wonderful reputation for uh, super customer service. Uh, if they don't have it in stock, they'll get it for you quickly. If they do have it in stock, they'll get it shipped out quickly, uh, usually by the same day or next day. Um, they have wonderful attention to detail in their packaging. Their prices are fantastic. Great people, great games, great prices over at GameSurplus.com. And if you're looking for some other games or something that's hard to find and import, they are your first and best choice for that. Uh, just send an uh, email over to uh, games at GameSurplus.com. And let Velma know what it is you're looking for. Uh, I, you know, asked her, hey, I'm really kind of interested in this small city game I've been hearing about from the heavy cardboard guys. And uh, do you think you might be able to get me a copy? And right away, she's like, okay, I've, I've sent out a contact. I'm talking with them. And so, boy, if anybody can get it, she'll get it. Um, she has shipments coming in regularly from overseas uh, for customers. It's almost like having a personal shopper. So go check out gamesurplus.com. And if you do decide to order from them, please be sure to tell them the long view sent you. So for Lloyd and Carter and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a great night.